Good morning again. Uh, welcome to Real Life. Do, do any of you, have you, you heard of the term, if you've watched any like um, zombie movies, you've heard of the term patient zero, right? In fact, I think there's a zombie movie out there called Patient Zero. I don't want any connections to what's going on now with those movies, but Patient Zero the term that has come to represent the first human infected with a viral or bacterial disease that causes an outbreak, right? So you get that. So it's the first person, we're trying to go back and figure out who the first person was that contracted the disease that kind of spread out, and we're dealing with that um, right now as they're still trying to figure out who that is. If, if you didn't know the story behind Patient Zero, it's actually a complete um, mistake, so California was trying to figure out how um, a virus, uh, I think it was AIDS virus, actually got into California, and they wrote down the letter O for outside California, outside the state. And so as they were, scientists were trying to figure out, they would just write O, and then that meant that it came in from someplace else. Well, somebody else later thought that the O was a zero, and that they started referring it to it as zero and patient zero came about because of a mistake of somebody thought an O was a zero. That's why people, whenever you write down a zero, you put the line through it. Okay? That way you won't have those mistakes. But if we didn't have that mistake, we wouldn't have patient zero. So in 2014, the outbreak of Ebola in West Africa was traced back to a two-year-old boy who may have been playing inside a hollow-out tree where there was a colony of bats. The most well-known patient zero probably ever was Mary Malone, who was nicknamed Typhoid if any of you were around back in 1906, when the typhoid fever broke out in uh, New York, and, and, and she, Typhoid Mary, unknowingly had no idea. She was not, uh, had, didn't have any symptoms, but she spread typhoid fever to every house that she um, entered, and, and it went on for um, many years. So uh, that's how we get uh, patient zero is how we figure out where those diseases and things started from. Knowing where and when an outbreak begins helps us diagnose the dangers and possible options for dealing with it, right? We got to know what we're dealing with before we can begin to make adjustments and figure out what to do next. Well, we know in uh, faith circles who the spiritual patient zero was, right? That was Eve. If you started your Bible reading over again in 2021, you've read about Eve already in just the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. Eve is in the Garden of Eden, and there's a snake there, right? And she eats the fruit, and she gives it to Adam. We know, because we've read the story, how fast evil and selfishness in particular spread. So in a fairly short amount of time, God wiped the slate clean, with Noah and the flood. Of course, that flood didn't stop sin because it didn't stop humanity. Noah got off the boat. He planted, you know, a garden. Just like Adam and Eve were in a garden, Noah plants a garden and then he gets drunk off the wine, giving the opportunity for his son to commit the first post-flood sin. And then comes the Tower of Babel and then a whole list of other things and it just goes on and on and on. Patient zero refers to the beginning, the, the outbreak the point, that points us to the mistakes, the cause of the problem, 
And knowing the cause of the problem helps us find a cure. So I want to talk a little bit about last year, 2020, and we're going to refer to 2020 because there's a zero at the end of the year. We're going to refer to 2020 as patient zero. It's a year zero. What caused the physical, emotional, economical devastation that we experienced in this country and really around the world in 2020? It was most likely the very thing that prompted Adam and Eve to choose to eat the fruit. It's the very same thing that caused Cain to kill his brother Abel, that caused Noah's son to sin, and caused the Jewish people to nail Jesus to a cross. And that is selfishness. When we put self on the throne of our lives in place of God, it always leads to pain. And when we go back even to the very beginning, to sin's patient zero, to Eve in the garden, we realize that it really was selfishness that caused her to take that bite of fruit. The the snake said, look, if you eat it, you will be like God. Who doesn't want that? You'll be able to tell the difference between good and evil, which wasn't exactly true. What really was going on was that he was saying, look, Eve, if you eat the fruit, if you disobey God, if you create, if you cause the first sin, what's going to happen is you're going to be able to determine good and bad, right and wrong for yourself. You don't have to just listen to what God says. You can decide what's right and what's wrong in your own life. That's selfishness. I want to be on the throne of my own life. And when that happens, there is always pain. And so, just in case you're confused, am I saying that humanity is the cause of this pandemic, coronavirus pandemic in 2020? Yeah, kind of. I'm saying that. Like, maybe not directly, but in a way, I'm saying that. But it didn't start with patient zero in China or wherever it is that they've decided it happened in 2019. It started with Eve and Adam in the garden. In year zero. And ever since then, humanity has chosen its own way over God's way. And because of it, we continue to see suffering and pain in our world. So indirectly, we can go all the way back to the beginning. But let's not go that far, because that'll get depressing. Let's just go back to last year, okay? 2020 is our zero year. From the pandemic to the deaths to the economic devastation and struggles that we have endured, the election at the end of the year, this was, uh, uh, this was where it ended. But we need to know what was the beginning. Right? It was sin that was the cause, ultimately, of all the things that we're dealing with now. So, last year, 2020, year zero. That's where it all began. The cause was sin, but that's where it all began. This year, we've got a new day. We've got a new name for this year. And so we're going to call it 2021. 2021. And it's not just a new year, by the way. It is the beginning of a new decade, right? Well, officially, we're in this new decade. And it's a chance for us 
to refocus our lives. Because that's what happens when you come to a new year, right? You take a moment to think about what was it like last year? What do I want it to be like this year? And, and, and because we're here, because we made it to 2021, that means that we get another chance to look more like Jesus in our everyday lives. Because we get to breathe today, we get another chance to live like Jesus. So when you see this, this year, and, and, and by the way, um, those of you online will get this uh, chance probably later, but you, in here, um, we were supposed to have like all the band and our ministry team leaders and a bunch of people around today were supposed to have shirts on that um, looked like this and had our little 2021 thing uh, on the sleeve. But uh, UPS apparently lost them somewhere in the snow or whatever and so they didn't get here in time to be made and so I got I got just one uh, from our shirt guy that was just laying around and so he made this so I get one today just so I could show it to you um, but uh, people are going to have them and you you will be able to order one of these you can get your own to help you remi- help remind you of what we're talking about um, today so when you see this 2021 around, and, and it will be a hashtag on social media if you follow that kind of thing. Uh, when you see this, I want you to think about how this year is a new beginning after our year zero. 2021 is a new start. We've uncovered the cause of our problems that begin last year, and now we're going to look at how do we deal with that? How do we move forward now that we have this information? Like the earth after the flood, 2021 is a fresh start. And while we'll still be masking and taking precautions and suffering for the effects of our year zero, we can press on in faith knowing that this is not our home. No matter what we deal with here in this life and, and in this present set of circumstances, this is, not, this is not our home. And so we live for more, even in the midst of less. So, as we get ready to jump into that, let's take a minute and pray this morning. Father God, I thank you for... Um, just, man, we look at your word and the promise that we have each and every day of a new tomorrow, of hope for something better in the midst of our struggles and pains and problems. We, we look forward, not, not just to um, freedom from sin through the cross and through Jesus, but the hope of our real life beginning when we get to heaven, when, when heaven comes to us, when we get to be in your presence. And so even from um, Eve and Adam, we go all the way back to the garden, you kicked them out of the garden, but there was a promise that one day you were going to restore it all. And, and you made that same promise to, to Noah. You were upset and the discipline came, but you made this promise, look, one day it's going to be better. And Jesus came to, to make us white as snow from the inside out. And we still have this promise that one day he's going to come back and we're going to be with him forever, with you forever. And so God, no matter what we face in this life or in this year, we know that we have something better to look forward to. Last year was hard, but help us to follow you and make this year holy. Help us do that, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So there there are certain events in our lives that we gravitate toward when it comes to making 
changes. We make big changes in our lives. There are just certain things that happen that just it's just natural, right? We call it kind of the rhythm of our life. There's a rhythm to our year, there's a rhythm to our life, and there are just certain periods of time, certain things that happen in our lives that, that just kind of set themselves up for us making changes in our lives. Let me share a few of them with you. Um, birthdays can spur us to make changes. In, in almost um, seven months, exactly seven months from yesterday, by the way, um, I will turn 50. I know. I, I, I just, thank you for that. Those of you could lift your arms. Um, but listen, I, wa- I want you to, that's a big thing for me, but I want you to know that Andrea turns 50 March 1st. So she's older. So my plan is that um, she will be so lovingly devastated from her 50th birthday celebration that she will have no energy to do anything for mine. That is my goal. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So, so birthdays are a natural time for us to think about life and to make changes in our lives. That's why the second half of last year of 2020, as I looked forward to like, oh my goodness, I'm going to turn 50, I began to make some changes in my life. I lost 24 pounds in the uh, last half of last year. Thank you. Um, and, uh, and, and, and now, I, you know, I think I've shared before that I've been going to the gym, I've been hitting the weights um, pretty hard, and so I've actually put on some of that weight uh, in muscle. And so I'm lifting more, uh, and I'm, I'm getting pretty excited. You probably can't tell, but my arms are about an inch bigger than they were. Mm. So I, I'm not going to do that really until, you know. So my goal is that by, uh, by my birthday... That, that I'll be able to bench 250. That's, that's my goal for this year when it comes to, to lifting. Um, and I'm a long ways away from that. So, so I don't know what will happen. But we'll see and, and you'll get to see the, the results of that. But, but birthdays are those times we think about making change in our lives and we begin to do those kind of things. Uh, another big one is um, maybe when we get a diagnosis. 20 years ago, I had a friend who was in her late 50s who had diagnosed with diabetes. And, and she immediately and radically changed her life. Um, she was a fantastic, she cooked all the time for her family and had big dinners with her family over and uh, friends and stuff. It's just, that was just a big thing that she did all the time. She continued to cook for her entire family and then she would make a separate meal for herself that was more friendly to her medical issues. And she's continued to do, to, to do that. Now it's some 20 years later, and she continues to make her two meals. She continues to exercise. She continues to do the stuff she needs to do. Um, and she has never once had to take medication to, to deal with her diabetes because she made the change when she got that diagnosis. New Year's are one of those times when we often think about changing and making resolutions or setting goals. I used to be critical of people who, like, I thought needed something in their life to make a change. Like, they needed, like, a wait for a new year to make a change. But I, I've grown up a little bit. Uh, I know it's hard to believe. But I have grown up a little bit in, in some areas. And now I'm, I'm like, look, I don't care what the spark is that causes you to make the change. I'm just interested in the end result. And so if you need a birthday or a new year or a diagnosis or something to make a change, I'm like, I don't care what it is. If you need something to help you get going, that is 
awesome, and I want to cheer you on for that. Death can be another point in time that we think about um, changing our lives, at least for those who are left behind, right? A few weeks ago, Andrea and I uh, weren't with you here at church. Terry came, did a great job um, filling in. We watched uh, online as we were driving across New Mexico, uh, and so we were with you uh, that way, but um, Andrea's cousin, Dwayne and Jimna's niece, uh, passed away just a few weeks ago. She had been sick and, and uh, daughter found her in the kitchen and they had uh, taken her to the hospital. She'd had a heart attack and they discovered there, uh, they discovered several things. They discovered she had COVID, um, but they also discovered that she had colon cancer that had spread to about every major organ in her body that caused the heart attack that ended in her death. And so we were out there um, happy to be able to, to, uh, to have you folks kind of uh, pick up the slack so that we could make that trip out to Phoenix and uh, share that with her husband and her kids um, and attend the service there. Um, but it makes us think, right? And we begin to think about our own mortality when there's death. There's been a lot of death this year. And so we think about those things and we think about what needs to change in my life if I'm going to do my best to live. Recognizing that his time was probably short, the Apostle Paul was sparked to write the last three letters that, that he would write to anybody, really. The, the letters of First and Second Timothy and, and Titus. He wrote those letters, probably he had, he had been released from uh, prison in Rome. If you'd read the stories in the book of Acts, you, you get that. The book of Acts ends and, and, and Paul is in prison in Rome. He's made it to Rome. He wanted to do that. But after the book of Acts ends, uh, Paul gets out in the early 60s. Uh, that's AD 60, right? So 0060. Gets out of prison in, in Rome in the early 60s. Eventually, he makes it to Spain. And by the mid-60s, he comes back to Asia Minor. And somewhere along that path, he writes to his protégés, Timothy and Titus. And he deals with a lot of things. These are two young preachers. They're in churches. There's a lot of false teaching things that are going on. And so he's writing to encourage them and to help them understand what it is that they need to do. And so um, sometime around the mid-60s, he makes his way back. He writes to these respective churches to help them deal with the rampant false teaching that's going on in the church and the coming and beginning persecution that's going to happen. So we're going to look at what he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first um, six verses. Here's what he, he says. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It, please, it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The first two verses tell us what to do. In the face of false teachers, the struggles, the, the pains, the problems, the persecutions that were going on in the early church, all these things that were breaking out against the early Christians, Paul says, pray. Pray. And pray in four specific ways, he says. First, he says to pray with um, supplications. That's supplications 
be made. Now, a supplication prayer is a plea for God to act on your own personal behalf. I'm struggling, I'm sick, I'm fearful, I'm having problems, I don't know what to do, God help me. That's a prayer of supplication. We're asking God to deal with personally what's going on in our lives. So we need help, we need focus, we need whatever. And so Paul says, you should pray asking God to help you. Don't feel bad about that. God wants to know. He cares about the things that are going on in your life. And so he wants to know when you're struggling with something, when things are painful, when they're difficult, he wants to help you. He then says to pray something kind of weird, uh, pray prayers. And, and so what he means here is to just, like, just pray. Maybe you're like, I don't really need anything, but I just want to talk to God like I'm talking to a friend. Hey, God, this is what's going on today. This is what happened yesterday. God, this is just what's going on in the world or in my life. And so these are just basic, general, just talking to God about whatever. Then he says, we should pray by intercessing, intercessory prayers. Now these are prayers where we're asking God to act on behalf of somebody else. So we have a family member, we have a friend, we have somebody we meet at the, at the store. Um, I, I used to go by McDonald's and get coffee for some of the guys helping to set up on Sunday mornings. And uh, there was a lady that was always working there at the, uh, the drive-up, the first, the, the take your money lady, right? And so I'd pull up, and I'd do this every single Sunday. So I'd, I'd pull up, I'd, I'd start my order, she'd hear my voice. Oh, hi, we'd talk a little bit, and I got up. And after a while, after a few weeks, um, I, I, I told her, you know, she's like, hey, you come here, like, every Sunday, the same time. I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor, I'm going to church, and we're going to set up for church. And, uh, and so then we began to, to talk. And, and pretty soon, I pulled up to the thing one day, and, and, and she said, hey, um, I have a son who's battling with addiction and he's kind of had a relapse and I just wondered if you would pray for him. And I said, yeah. I looked in my side mirror because the trailer's behind me in the rearview mirror. Look at the side mirror and there's nobody behind me and I just stuck my hand out and, and, and she kind of leaned out the window and I took her hand and we prayed right there. So there are intercessory prayers that Paul says should be made on behalf of somebody else for something going on in their life. We pray for somebody who's sick. We pray for the church. We pray for a family member. Those are intercessory prayers. And then he says we should make prayers of thanksgiving. Prayers of thanksgiving are, are God, thank you for what you've done and thank you for what you're going to do. When, when we remind ourselves of the good things that God has done in our lives, you saw me through 2020. I'm, I'm alive. I may be barely alive, but I'm alive. You saw me through 2020. Thank you, God. Then that remembering of that uh, thing that God did helps to spark us to go, God, I expect that you're going to see me through 2021. And so prayers of thanksgiving are things that God has done and thanking God that he will continue to act in our lives and on our behalf. Now, Paul says that these types of prayers should be made by people of faith. You, you and I, for us, for each other, and for those outside of our faith. And he even says that we need to recognize those people in high positions like kings and maybe city commissioners. 
And I think there's a specific reason why he says that. See, most of us forget to pray for leaders and people in high positions because we think they've got it all together. They've got everything they need. Or we we either think that or we're mad at them. They made that decision that made me shut down my business. They made me wear this uncomfortable mask. They made me do whatever. And so I'm mad at them and I don't want to pray. And Paul says, don't forget to pray for those people in high positions because they need it. And, And here's why they need it. Because those people in those positions are making decisions that affect everybody else. They need wisdom. They need help. They need guidance. Not that they would, they would do what we want them to, but that they would do the right thing. That, that they would act in the best interest of the people that they're serving or leading and not just the best interest of those people who can give them something in return. And so, so Paul says, look, don't forget in your thanksgiving, in your prayers, your intercession, your supplication, don't forget to pray for those people who are leading you or in positions of, 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 of power and authority. Because they make laws and they carry out the punishment for those laws. They need wisdom and guidance to do that effectively. They should be prayed for. Paul says that, that, that this is the way. Oh man, I really expected one of you to say, this is the way. But you apparently didn't. So you do watch The Mandalorian, right? Okay, good. I know a few of you do, but you, you missed it anyway. If you don't, you should, if you care at all about Star Wars. Anyway, it's pretty good. Um, so, I don't know where I was. Uh, so, so Paul says, this is the way to actually influence leaders, and it's the most peaceful way to bring about real change. Notice that Paul, the, the people that he's dealing with are facing persecution, they're facing false teachers, they're facing all kinds of junk in their lives, and Paul doesn't say, go out and protest and slam on doors and do whatever. He says, pray for them. He says, this is the most peaceful way to bring about real change. Pray. And he says, when we do, we then, don't, we then won't become uh, instigators, but we'll be inspirations for, the, for lives of peace and dignity. Okay, then he goes on to say that praying this way, praying with supplication and prayers and intercession and, and thanksgiving for ourselves, for others, for leaders, is not only good, he said, but it's pleasing to God. It pleases God. And and let's just be honest, we all could use a little help pleasing God today. We could all benefit from pleasing God a little bit more this year and in our lives. But what we really need to focus on is why these prayers please God. And that's what he goes on to say next. Because God's desire is that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There's one God, and there's one Savior. Here's how we say this, um, uh, very similar to this very same thing. It's repeated throughout Scripture. Here's how we say it here at Real Life, that our mission is to help every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like him every day. That's what we want to do. And so um, 2021 And the beginning of this new year and this new decade is a perfect time for us to refocus on the most important things for us as people and for us as a church. That what Paul says, that there is one God. 
that there's one way to get to God. There's one way to live for God. There's one way to please God. And that there is one more, always one more, who needs to find their way to God. And so for the next year, and beyond most likely, this is how we're going to remind ourselves of what's most important, of what Paul talks about here in 1 Timothy 2, and what we see in other places. This is going to be our reminder. That there is one God, one way, and there's always one more. In Mark chapter 12, uh, beginning about verse 28, a teacher of the law comes to Jesus. He's been talking to uh, his disciples and other religious leaders and peoples around. He's been kind of astonishing them by the things that he says. And so uh, a religious leader comes and he asks, of all the commands of God, which is the most important? Now, now this was a big question because God had given the Israelite people about 300, 400 laws, and then the religious leaders has made about 700 more laws. So there's roughly about 1,000 laws that the people of God, the Jewish people, had to obey. And if they didn't obey, they believed that God was going to be angry with them and hate them and smite them and all this kind of stuff. And so knowing what the most important one was, was a big deal. And so he comes and says, what's the most important law? And Jesus answered him like this. The most important law is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. This command, quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, is called the Shema, and it is the most sacred law of God. Here's what I found on a website called HebrewForChristians.com. It's pretty interesting. The writer uh, says this, The love of God is our very first duty. Think of it. Not the knowledge of the Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament that the Jews still refer to. Regardless of how edifying or noble those first books are. It's not that. And it's not the external observances regardless of how well they're observed. And it's not the practice of Jewish customs, regardless of how they might make us feel identified with God's chosen people. Jesus' answer to this very important question is that the greatest duty of our lives is to love God with every bit of our passion, inwardness, and strength. The author goes on to say that if we walk with God in the power of Holy Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit will be produced in us and we will, without having to work to attain it, walk in ways that are pleasing to God. From Adam to Malachi, and from Jesus to January 3rd, 2021, God's greatest desire is that His creation would love Him alone. That creation would follow him only. That we would worship him above all else. And that we would try to comprehend his overwhelming love for us. Jesus gave further depth to what it means to love God when he said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. We express our love for Jesus and likewise our love for God by being obedient Instead of determining what is right or wrong based on our own desires, based on the world's influence or some internal subjective feeling, being obedient to God puts Him on the throne of our lives. Remember I said the very beginning, patient zero when it comes to sin, Eve, what was her issue? She was selfish. 
She wanted to be the one to determine right and wrong for herself. And the same thing is true for us today. Unlike the Jewish people who tried to follow all of those thousand laws, the religious leaders, we have only one law, to love God. And then Jesus tells us that the way we love God in Mark 12, 31 is by loving our neighbor as ourself. So the most important thing that we're to do is to love God. And he said the way that you love God is being obedient. And what does God tell us to do? Love our neighbors as ourselves. So there's one God who has one rule that we love him. And we show that we love him by obeying him when we love one another. When we do this, we're loving the one God in the one way that he asks us to. So every time you see this graphic, I want you to remember that there is one God who has one rule. When Jesus was nearing the end of his earthly life, he told his disciples not to be troubled by his coming death. So several times he sat him down and he said, look, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be crucified. This is not going to be good. And his disciples like didn't get it. They didn't follow him very well. But at one point he sits him down and, and he says, look, I, I'm going to die. I'm going to go ahead of you and prepare the way so that you can be with me again. And, and then he told him this, you know the way to where I'm going. And he meant to the father. He meant um, himself, you know the way to where I am going. But his disciple Thomas, who just didn't, didn't get it, asked him, Lord, we don't even know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And, and here's Jesus' response. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas didn't know about the persecution, about the pain, the trouble, and the death that would soon come, not, not only to Jesus, but to the disciples and to the followers and the early Christians under the terrible persecution of Rome and Nero. But the circumstances of life are not what's important. We may not know where we're going this new year, what it will bring, what relational and emotional and physical or financial challenges await us in the next 12 months, but we know the way. We know the way through it all. By faith in Jesus and looking more like him every day, we can face anything that might come to us. Now, I, I remember 12 months ago when I stood um, here before you and I talked about what 2020 was going to bring to us. And, and, and if you remember, I, I, we were talking about how our kids' ministry was overflowing. We had way too many kids in there. And, and, and I said that, that by August, when school starts back in again, we're probably going to be moving to two services because we just simply don't have enough room for our kids in there. Now, obviously, I had no idea what was going to happen in 2020. And, and I had no idea that, that because of the pandemic and since we have come back in, in person, while our um, total attendance has been about 70 to 75% of what it was prior to COVID in person, our kid attendance is um, less than half of what it was before. I had no idea that that was going to happen. And so I'm a little wary, if you can believe that, of making predictions about what we're going to do this next year. 
But here's what I know. Just what Jesus said to, to Thomas. Look, I, I don't know where we're going in 12 months. I don't know what's going to happen in, in 12 months, but I know the way. I, I know the way because I'm just going to follow Jesus and we're just going to do whatever he puts in our path to do. When we strive to look more like Jesus, it means that we'll be walking like Jesus and talking like Jesus. We'll be going the same direction as Jesus and that is always toward the Father in obedience. Through Jesus, we have a way, even if we don't know where we'll end up. Through Jesus, we know the truth, even when our eyes might deceive us and we're struggling. We're going, God, I thought you were supposed to bless me and you're not blessing me and I don't know. We can go back to his word and go, I know the truth of who I am in Christ. And, and, and through Jesus, we can expect life even in the face of death. So I don't know where we'll end up in 12 months. I hope that at the end of this year, we'll be having this gathering in our own building, in our own place. That would be fantastic. I would love for that to happen. But I don't know. Even if we don't, though, I know the way forward. And it's following Jesus. There is one way to get to God. By surrendering to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And so every time you see this graphic this new year, I hope that you'll be reminded that there is only one way to get to God. And that that helps you stay close to Him. Now we've looked um, more closely at 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, one God and one way. I want to jump back to verse 4 real quick and see what the point of all of this even is. Because um, Paul says to Timothy this, God desires all people to be saved. And so what he's saying is the point of loving the one God by loving others, just like the one way laid out for us by Jesus, um, is that every person possible might find real life in God through Jesus. Or, or more specifically, might find real life by surrendering their lives to God by looking more like Jesus every day. Many have claimed that 2020 was going to be the catalyst for the return of Jesus. I don't know if that's going to prove true or not, but I absolutely know why Jesus hasn't returned yet. I know absolutely why he hasn't come back yet. The Apostle Peter spelled it out for us. God is being patient with you, not wanting anyone to die apart from faith, but everyone to come to repentance. And so it's pretty simple. God wants one more. One more saved life through Jesus. And the only way that happens is if we keep our focus on what's most important. One God, one way, one more, 2021. So next Sunday, we're going to do something that we've never done before here at Real Life. I'm going to preach through our Discover Real Life material. Now, some of you have been through that before. It's part of our partnership, uh, a way to partnership. And so you come to Discover Real Life, you find out about the church, you're given the opportunity at the end to become a partner uh, of, in what God is doing here. But we have completely revamped 
our Discover Real Life material with our new gospel definition, which I'm super excited to share with you next week, and um, our definition of what a disciple is. And so it's all been revamped and, and retooled, and I am really excited to be able to share that with you about what God expects of each person who surrenders to Jesus in obedience to him. And I'm calling that series, This Is Us. So we're going to look, uh, beginning next week, um, about this church, about what God has done, about what he's going to do, and about how he's going to accomplish all of those things. So over the next four weeks, we'll learn about what the one God expects from us, who follow the one way in the hopes of helping one more come to repentance and surrender personally themselves to God. And the end of that series, everybody both here in person and those joining us online will have the opportunity to become a partner in this call on our lives to help every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like him every day. And so I hope that you will join me next Sunday on this journey as we um, live our lives by this call, one God, one way, one more in 2021. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and for all of the just incredible and good things that you do for us. And, and, and God, um, the truth is we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know new rules, regulations, whatever are going to come down the pike. And, and, and honestly, for a lot of us, we're nervous about what that might mean for our jobs and our, our, our homes, our retirement plans, our, our, just our, our lives, our family, our kids in school, and, and, and even our churches, God. We just don't know. But we know the way. Because your son Jesus is the way. And, and, and as we focus on you, and as we keep you at the, the top on the throne of our, our lives, if we, as we work to look more like Jesus every day, that, we're, that regardless of, of, of which way the road goes, we're going to be on the right way, because we're always going to do our best just to follow you. And so would you bring about every good thing um, for us, um, and man, how amazing would that be that at this time next year we could be meeting in our our own place and 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 our own granite. That that would be so cool. But God, even if that doesn't happen, we're going to just follow you. And we're going to do whatever you call us to do and whatever you put in our path to do. Um, we're we're going to keep our focus on you. One God, one way, one more. God, would you help us do that? Um, this new year. Thanks, God, for loving us, for seeing us through year zero, and, and now help us, God, in year one to really focus on the one, the one that has not only saved us, but cleansed us of our sin and called us to righteousness through faith in, in Jesus, and, and the one that has the hope for tomorrow. We can see you face to face and live in perfection with you. And so would you save us to that point?